And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Gladwell. Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. (laughs) Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long. And all off-season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And I am joined, once again, by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Doug, (laughs) how are you, man? You know, somehow or other, it is the last Starkville of the year. So, like, what happens in Starkville? Well, we close down the whole town of Starkville for the holidays. I, you would know about this. Do we turn out the street lights all over town? Do we? Does everybody just go vacation like in Maui? How does it work? Well, Starkville becomes a gigantic beach, and uh, everybody just throws a giant New Year's party, and then the next day it snows, and then you go skiing. So, because Starkville's got it like that, we cover all weather patterns. You can do anything and any day that you wish in Starkville. See. Wow! And what, what was that old Tina Fey line? Uh, I want to go to there. Let's do that. <laughs> oh wait, we're, it's our town. We're already there. Uh, look, look, since it's our last show of the year, uh, we wanted to have some fun looking back at 2022. So, here's what we're gonna do: we're inviting in our friends from other towns in athletic <laughs> baseball show America. <laughs> we, we've got Andy McCullough and Eno Saris joining us. Boys, happy holidays and welcome back to Starkville. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. The, the, the honor and the pleasure is ours. <laughs> and and uh, guys, this was one wild year in baseball. Uh, you don't need me to tell you that, but... Here's the deal. It's up to us to capture the wildness of 2022. I think we can do that. You guys agree? Oh, yeah. No (laughs) doubt. It was wild. It was wacky. It was everything. Okay. I was hoping you'd agree. Um, (laughs) All right. So, look, since we just named that Aaron Judge guy as the Athletic Sports Person of the Year, um, why don't we start with him? Um, I'll tell you what. I'll start. I know this will shock you. Uh, I do have a few Aaron Judge facts I can run past you guys. You ready? Mm -hmm. Um, He homered 
against 56 different pitchers this year <laughs> in 16 different parks against 19 different teams. Every inning, 1 through 10, he hit a homer. Uh, hit 13 home runs as a really tall leadoff guy. He hit two home runs leading off a game, tallest man ever to do that. He led his league in home runs by 20. He led the league in runs scored by 30. He led the league in total bases by 82. He led the league in OPS by 92 points. And I actually think this might be my favorite of all of them. Uh, you know, no member of the Detroit Tigers hit 18 home runs this whole year. And Aaron Judge hit 18 before we got to Memorial Day. <laughs> so it's pretty crazy to think back on this happening in real life. I'm sure you have some thoughts. Doug, why don't we start with you? Aaron Judge, your thoughts. <laughs> I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, because the, the real cherry on top was the contract to win, right? <laughs> it's like, and, so you know, you, you think about betting on yourself. And, and I just remember going into free agency and I, I wasn't going exactly off of my best foot and, and just the uncertainty about where you're going to go, uh, the stress of just not knowing when it's going to end. And it's not, it's not an easy process, let alone the fact that you're going into the season saying, Hope I'm staying healthy here. Like you want to put yourself in like a hermetic, hermetically sealed case or something, because you're so worried about like oh, if I got hurt or sprained my ankle. And Judge, you know, delivered on that. And he's a guy that's had injury histories. You kind of expected him to be out a little bit. And um, and every time I was researching for some game he was playing in, uh, I couldn't find any holes in the stats to figure out like, well, where is this guy's weakness exactly? Like, and you know, I remember talking to Alex Cora at one point, he was like, if you miss anywhere in his zone, it's over. Like I haven't seen him miss all season. Like he just had that kind of season. And you, you know, as a player, when you're just in quote the zone, uh, it's hard to do over two weeks, 10 days, let alone uh, an entire season. And, and when you're a power hitter that can hit for average, get on base and and really be a great defender by the way as well uh you know you just have you have a season for the ages so i i recognize that had you not been in the era of shohei otani it would be just like judge would just be standing on some island somewhere but it, it was it was that fun to watch him and he was so consistent uh but the cool and calm with which he did it and then in the end just to be able to say well i could leave uh but you're going to pay me more to stay and that ultimate bet on yourself was just sort of what iced everything on his cake. Yeah, he only got $150 million out of that bet on himself. <laughs> so that, he might have had a better offseason than season. Uh, you know, you have any thoughts about Aaron Judge's year? Well, this, it also really stands in opposition to some trends in the game. We had a deadened ball this year. You know? This was supposed to be a year where, and it was for everybody else, where homers were down. <laughs> And, right. you know, we particularly saw it on opposite field versus pulled homers. So pulled homers were down 15%, but opposite field homers were down 30%. So opposite field homers are down twice as much as pulled homers because the dead and ball, you know, it's that, that last foot or two, it, it, it stole those homers. Um, it, didn't, it didn't matter for Judge. 
know, like he he'll still hit 16 nope. homers uh, to the opposite field. He had uh, a, a, a slugging percentage over a thousand uh, to the opposite field. The third time he's done that in his career. Uh, he was a hundred and ninety ninety percent better than the league average uh, to the opposite field. So you know, it was uh, you know the the whole league is like, what are we gonna do? Tommy Pham and and J D Martinez are out here having conversations about you know, can we hit the ball the opposite way anymore? Like, is that even a, a thing we can do anymore with the ball the way it is? Uh, and Judge is like, no, I I can still hit it the opposite way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember in another time we used to talk about how nobody ever talked about how the ball was juiced when Pedro pitched. <laughs> this is the opposite. Nobody talked about how the ball was dead when Aaron Judge was up. Andy, what, what struck you about Aaron Judge's year? You get to see a lot of it up close. Yeah, I mean, I think Aaron Boone talked about this a lot, just sort of how Judge, uh, if you compare it to his era, as you guys mentioned, right? Like, he really is an outlier. I think the – I looked this up today. Uh, like, the league slugging average this year was 395, and he slugged 686, right? Uh, he had a 211 OPS plus, which means he's essentially twice as effective as a, you know, normal player. I think he was, like, the, the – he was the first, like, 11-win player in war, uh, you know, since Barry Bonds, right? Um, but I also think, you know, the point you made, Jason, about, like, his offseason might have been better than his season <laughs> like this guy conducted as effective a one-year platform campaign on field and off as you possibly can I mean one like he goes out and hits 62 home runs which like yeah was gonna net him some more money and then his ability to extract that contract from the Yankees and sort of all the little breadcrumbs along the way you know the staged video in san francisco oh i'm just here to see some family you know the late night that, by the, way. Uh, the 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 mysterious flight to meet with the padres and you know like uh and and this idea that they would somehow get 400 million out of peter seidler all of it you know culminating in him getting this I think it was what, 9, 360, an AAV record uh, for, for position players, you know, $40 million a year, right? Like at the start of the year, when he got offered, I think it was 7 for 213, right? Like I know looking at that deal, talking to executives, the sort of general consensus is like yeah, pretty fair, right? Like this is a guy, he's a really good player, right? But he's hurt relatively often, you know, he's a big guy. He's you're old. betting on, you know, he's old, you know, you're betting this is going to be his year into his uh, age 31 season and beyond like seven for 213 that feels about right and he was just like no like <laughs> i this sport markets me like mookie betts and mike trout right you put me in all these ads with them you say i'm as good as these guys well you're gonna pay me like that and he went out and and did it i mean it's a it was really a remarkable feat from beginning to end yeah, he could be the next conductor of the New York Philharmonic because he orchestrated that <laughs> offseason, man. It was something to see. Uh, all right, let, let, let's move it along. And we, we have to talk about the force of nature known as Shohei Otani. Um, there's, a, there's a million ways to go. Andy, I know you've been pondering how miraculous <laughs> Shohei was again this year. Why, why don't you start? with the Shohei perspective you're so noted for. Did you know that he pitches and he hits? <laughs> what? Like, he does both of these things. Uh, so, 
I don't know because we were still because it's the off season and because it's sort of moving into free agency mode. I've been thinking about things in the more like crass uh, financial realm, if that makes sense. <laughs> so uh, let's think about this, right? Uh, Jacob Degrom threw like sixty innings this past year with like a three, I think it was three oh eight ERA. He just got one hundred and eighty five million dollars, right? Carlos Correa is obviously a very good shortstop. He hit twenty two homers with an eight thirty four OPS. He just got $350 million. Uh, what if I were to tell you that Shohei Otani was better than both of them, at least in terms of offense, in terms of Correa, and pitching in terms of DeGrom? I don't think he's going to get $500 million next offseason. I think that's just going to be hard. But, like, it's definitely going to start with a four if he wants a long-term deal. And, like, when you're talking about Otani, like, in order to understand him, you have to create these sort of, like uh, – like transformer type characters, like what if you combine Pete Alonso and Max Freed? <laughs> what if you combine like Jose Abreu and Carlos Rodon? It's just it's ridiculous, right? But that's like actually what he's done the past two seasons, and I think the steps that he took as a pitcher this year were probably the most interesting thing because he's been a good hitter the whole time. Um, that he, you know, when he's been healthy uh, in the majors, he sort of was more of a thrower than a pitcher before this season, and he like really sharpened that aspect of his game. And like the only thing that prevented him from pitching enough to win the Cy Young was that he was like an elite hitter the other, <laughs> you know, days of the week. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's he's good. He's good. He's a really good player. Um, and I, I want to leave it at that. <laughs> okay, this just in. Otani good, says Andy McCullough. It's pretty good. Uh, no, yeah. Write that no down. You, you might want to refer yeah. to it in some future time. You, you, you think that when he goes to negotiate that free agent contract based on what you just said, he should ask for the Correa deal plus... The DeGrom deal. <laughs> so that's Why five. Not? What does that come to? Five something. Five yeah. twenty something. Well, the question is like, what does this guy want? Yeah. Right. Like we don't exactly Anything. know. Just give like, it to him. Just give it right. to him. So, but is it like I want a three-year deal for uh, you know eighty million dollars a year? <laughs> right. Like I don't know. Like yeah. is he, maybe he's worth that. I, maybe not. Probably. I, I don't know. Like to Steve Cohen, he probably is. Well, I remember Michael Jordan. Didn't he come back that one time? And say, okay, it's time for me to get paid. And he, it was like a two-year yeah. deal or something. You know? <laughs> it was like two for eighty. Yeah, <laughs> right, like so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, otonic. Yeah. That's the only word I think of. Otonic. That's, that's, that's the Glanville no other, word. No other word. Oh, he's otonic. Um, <laughs> you know. Your thoughts on show? Well, I don't know if it's just because I'm a pitching dork, or or Andy was pointing out, I think rightfully that he took such a, uh, a leap forward this year uh, on the pitching side. But I I'm just amazed that somebody who has to prepare to hit uh, can also do all the stuff that it takes to be a great starting pitcher. Uh, this year, for example, uh, Otani just added a, a two seamer in the middle of the season, uh, you know, and uh, it was immediately one of the best two seamers, uh, you know, uh, on my sheet. So. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing where you remember Clayton Kershaw just like picked up the ball and like was like, I'm going to throw a slider now. And then it's like the best slider in baseball. It's like, you know, these guys at this level, they when they have dedication plus this out otherworldly talent, that's when you get these amazing outcomes. But uh, I was trying to put it into perspective just in, you know, everyone's going to be traveling for the uh, for the new year and for Christmas and stuff. And I thought I'd put uh, in perspective 
you know the homers and and the judge hit and 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 how Otani's been. So judge hit four point eight miles of homers this year, uh, <laughs> and that's ridiculous. And of course, Otani only hit two point six miles of homers. Uh, you didn't quite have the same prodigious year. However, if you look at those pitches to home plate and how far <laughs> those traveled, that was twenty seven oh miles uh, that he threw the ball. <laughs> Uh, and you know, often throwing it 100 miles an hour. Uh, tell dad to slow down if he's th- if he's uh, at 100 on the freeway. But uh, it's uh, it's something that I like to bring up because sometimes people say that uh, starting pitchers uh, shouldn't be in for the MVP or uh, don't um, do as much uh, you know game to game as hitters. Uh, but they affect a lot of plate appearances. They face a lot of batters, and in fact, uh, they can affect the game just as much, if not more, than an everyday player, even if they don't uh, have to post up every day, as people point out. Yeah, what a great point. And you, you know why Otani got better mileage than Judge, right? He's a hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> That's my theory. <laughs> well done. <laughs> just thought of that. Uh, all right, Doug, why don't you tell us just how Otonic Shohei looked to you, sir? Well, I think you start off with the money question of, I always vote for making a bank of Otani uh, because he needs his own currency, first of all. And when they pay him, instead of like, you know, NFTs or whatever, I think you pay him in Otani dollars with his face on them. And (laughs) so I think you start there. And then, you know, whenever, you have to make up new metrics, right? It's already like you're trying to combine two worlds that just make no sense. It's like, you know, Saturn and Jupiter. You got to like bring them all together. And I think all the the, uh, statisticians should come together and come up with just Otani-specific statistics. So what's my example? Well, if you talk to Simone Biles, which I haven't, but I know a little (laughs) bit about gymnastics with my daughter, uh, there's all kinds of moves called the Biles. She has Biles moves. There's like four of them. They didn't didn't try to call it, well, let's call it a quad. No, no, no. It's called the Biles. So I think Otani is going to have to you're going to have to create our own vocabulary, a whole dictionary around him, and then I think he just decides what he wants. I think just like Andre Dawson went in during the near strike right and went in and said, "Pay me whatever you want." I think Otani goes in and says, "Okay, I'm going to start the first number for you," and then he goes all to the GMs and then they fill in the rest. And then you know it's sort of like a website when you go banking for a mortgage, they all bid on him on the website and then he gives them the numbers and then they can. And I think what they might do is they might collectively all pool their resources and he'll actually end up playing for 30 teams. <laughs> I think that's the best thing. And, uh, and then when it's all said and done, the, the, the capstone of all this is at the all-star game, he pitches to himself and then, you know, and then it's over. And then, so that's what I would do for Atani. No numbers needed, just the, the marvel that he is. Yeah, this all seems feasible. I was thinking, all right, if we're going to name some Otani-esque stats, what, yeah. Otani PS Plus? Something Should like that? Should be. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Otani PS, yes. Yeah. Why not? Why not? That's it. All right, this is my favorite annual Shohei stat. Love to do this every year. This is how it worked out this year. <laughs> His slugging percentage for the season was 519. The, the, the poor guys who had to bat against him, on the other hand, they were a little south of 519 <laughs> by over 200 
points. <laughs> so here's what that means. If we took him right now, like roused him from his nap, whatever he's doing, and said, Shohei, you got to go right back to the mound right now. And we made him keep pitching. And he gave up a home run to the first 29 hitters who marched up there in a row. Those opposing hitters still wouldn't have as high a slugging percentage as he had. This is just crazy. Time, time to ask the question. We, we ask every time we talk about him, are we sure he's a real person? Is there any proof? Anybody have any? Oh, I was I was like a real like uh, skeptic. Like I was like, this is not going to work. Right? Like, <laughs> when he came, sounds over, like you, just, Andy. Yeah, I know. Everyone knows I'm a romantic about the sport. Uh, I thought you should close, but I just I, yeah, I just didn't see. Like I just didn't think it was going to work. Like it's too hard, right? Like, <laughs> right. and That's I think right. the worst. And there were signs uh, in the years before 2021 that it wasn't exactly working. You know, he wasn't as good of a hitter in the second year. And then he hurt his elbow, and so he wasn't really effective in 2020. But, like, he figured out something going into 2021 where he's, like, kind of able to do this. And there are – it makes it somewhat tough on the roster construction because you kind of got to run a six-man rotation and your DH spot is clogged and, you know, all that stuff. But, like – you also have Shohei Otani, which like you should be able to manage around. So I I don't know like it's uh yeah I I thought it was he was just gonna get hurt and he wasn't really gonna be able to do both and like amazingly <laughs> like he's just getting better at both. It's 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 crazy. Doesn't it, doesn't it seem like one of the most uh, the highest spending teams and one of the best teams in baseball that's won a championship, won all those games, is actually taking this postseason off just to be in preparation to be in the bidding for them next year. Doesn't that seem like the Dodgers, like, doesn't that explain what the Dodgers are doing right now? It's like, no, we'd rather be in it for it next year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that is as good an explanation for what the Dodgers are doing this winter that I've heard. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I have no clue what they're trying to accomplish. Come on, there's never Otani. a bad time to reset your luxury tax threshold. It happened to be the year before Otani's a free agent, sure. Right, 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 yeah. I mean, unfortunately, Steve Cohen is the richest man in the world, so they're going to have some trouble there, uh, but we'll oh, see. Really? Well, they can change the Hollywood sign out there and just, just put Otani. Just, just <laughs> yeah. take, take a couple letters on Otani. Otani Woods got a nice ring. It does. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention 
into themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. All right, let, let's shift gears a little bit. I, I want to do something that's that's we I don't think we've ever done before, but should be really fun. Uh, we're going to look back on the year, but not, not the way people would normally do it. Uh, we're all going to look back on some weird baseball-y thing that we saw in person this year. And... Uh, Doug, I think we should start with you. Um, mm. I, I, you were there on a Sunday night <laughs> for one of the most memorable things that happened this whole season. And here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to hear a little slice of what the heck happened. <laughs> it involved Albert Pujols, but not in the batter's <laughs> History here in Bush Stadium. Albert Pujols. Is on the mound. The greatest right-handed hitters of all time making his first ever pitching appearance. This one to left. Back at the wall. And it's gone. This could do it. Albert's got his hand up. There you go. The ERA may be 54, but no one's going to forget what we saw tonight. Doug, I mean, you're broadcasting a Sunday night Cardinals-Giants game. What do you remember when Albert Pujols started walking to the mound? Well, I kept going, "What? What is that?" <laughs> Just, and um, but and then I was like, "This is this is cool because well, first of all, you know, played against him a long time, and you know, he was the machine. He was very focused, very serious, and I did get to know him. I went to one of his charity events one year, and I think it kind of broke the ice of of like the machine. So I, you know, we were cool, but uh, I also knew that. With that focus, it's you, you always wonder with players that are have that type of intensity, like how much joy are they having, or at least expressing on the field. And, you know, also the sense of are you gonna step outside your shell or step outside, you know, your image and your reputation and your excellence and kind of say, you know, let's just turn this into the game we remember as a kid playing wiffle ball in your front yard or stickball as I did against my brother. Uh, those are the moments I thought about this year when Albert Pujols stepped on the mound. And I said, you know, this is a good thing. Of course, Molina also stepped on the mound. But the idea yeah, that he, he, someone with that type of legacy and that type of career goes out and says, you know what, let me pitch. I just want to do this because it's something I've never done and, and have fun with it. So, yeah, it's, it's funny because before the game, even that week, we had been talking a lot about Oh, the games. What are we going to do with all these position player pitchers and pitching? And we, you know, if it's over, maybe you just shut the game down, you know. But then you remember, like, this is why you do it. Like, you know, it's just a once in a lifetime kind of moment. And the fans were out of their minds. And I, I think I skipped calling the game for a minute. I like stepped behind the mic and I started like filming and taking pictures. <laughs> and uh, I got this shot of him, like, his, his full leg kick up, just about to release the ball. 
And uh, it was just surreal. I just kept looking at it like this is absolutely mind blowing. So uh, it was it was great. And um, I think it's one of those things where you just see the childhood nature of the game. It's sort of like when Otani was at the All Star game and people want to take pictures. All stars wanted to take pictures with him and and you know do video chats with him. I mean that's what you need to see and remind us that uh, everybody's still having fun as they should. Yeah, it was fun. That's is that the only thing that Albert ever did that you didn't do, Doug? Can't remember. Uh, well, I, I think I hit fifty nine home runs once in a year. <laughs> uh, no, actually, it was a career. That's right. Your whole wrong. life, yeah, yeah, lifetime. That was pretty close. Close. Yeah. So Albert, uh, he gave he he gave up four runs. He gave up two home runs. He yeah. gave up back to back home runs to the catcher and the pitcher. <laughs> Although, in fairness to him, the pitcher was actually not a pitcher. It was Luis Gonzalez, who also hits for a living because this game was off the rails. Um, best part, he got the last three outs in a game the Cardinals won. <laughs> so he, he broke the record for oldest position player to finish off a win. And you know who held it? Babe Ruth, because who else would hold it? It was, the, it was quite the uh, extravaganza. Andy, you have any thoughts on Albert's pitching exploits? I think he should he should come back and do it again. I mean, I think he should just try and make it as a pitcher at this point. Uh, no, I, I uh, he, what he did in the second half, just as a hitter and uh, sort of putting a yeah, positives maybe the wrong. I mean, I don't know what are positive like a positive ending to his career, right? Because, like, it, what happened to Albert Pujols in the 2010s was fairly sad. You watch this guy who was, like, the best of his generation just sort of, uh, you know, wither away because of injury and all that stuff. And so to see him for a few months hitting like it was 2006 again was uh, was pretty cool, I think. And to see the way that fans in St. Louis responded to him, uh, to see, you know, the highlights from hitting number 700 in Dodger Stadium. It was uh, it was the comeback of the year in some ways, or the revival <laughs> of the year, while all while saying goodbye. It was nice. Yeah, we just spent an hour talking about Aaron Judge and who had a higher per- slugging percentage against left-handed pitchers this year, <laughs> Albert or Aaron Judge? It was Albert at 42. <laughs> that is just nuts. Uh, hey, you know, I, I want to give Eno a chance uh, to talk about the wildest thing that he saw this year, which kind of plays off of what Doug was talking about. But if if you, if you do want to talk about Albert first, Eno, I won't stop you. No, I just, you know, I love the, the moments of joy that you can kind of see. I, I like how uh, Doug set it up because, you know... Uh, I didn't. I didn't always get the greatest interviews out of Albert. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he was a cagey guy. I don't know. I mean, there were people. Maybe other people who did uh, had better, uh, you know, luck with him. But <laughs> I had a. I had a harder time. So it was kind of, you know, even as someone who covers him, I was like, okay, he's the machine, and I could. You can tell <laughs> that his teammates love him. You know, like you can tell that everyone around him loves him, and that, you saw that in L.A. You know, he was there for a short time. But they they seem to really love him. You can see it when Manny Machado and him are like, like just having a whole like you know, hugging and 
and saying hi and like you know they're like having breakfast out at uh, third base together you know like oh oh and then Manny has to be like oh there's a game and like you know, get back into fielding position but uh, you know to see him on the mound like that was to see I think what his teammates saw out of him which is someone who's very serious but also uh, loves the game and knows how to have fun yeah the the, the joy. Um... You know, anytime something like that happens, I'm always looking for somebody to provide humorous commentary. And so I texted Adam Wainwright just to see if he'd be interested in firing out some quips on Albert. And sometimes, you know, Waino can take a couple of days to get back to you. Like 30 seconds later, what do you need? <laughs> so uh, he, he apparently enjoyed it, uh, as did everybody in the yard. All right, Eno, what's the wildest thing that you saw this year? Well, you know, one of my favorite plays of all time was uh, when Michael Morse hit a hit a grand slam uh, for the Nationals, and they had to review it, and it was in the early days of review. Uh, yeah. So they made him run the bases <laughs> once they decided it was all over. Uh, so he took a fake swing <laughs> and then ran around. So I love when uh, the players turn into actors. Uh, and I and I think you can kind of uh, hear that, see that in this clip where uh, you know Travis Darno like uh, acts like D. Strange Gordon has just blown him up to pieces uh, after. <laughs> yeah, after yeah let's hear this. We we can actually hear this, and then you know can tell us what the heck this was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, I mean it's it's just hilarious when you were watching it, you know, TDA is just spread eagle on the ground like you know, like he's just uh had he's just had his his hand blown off or whatever. Like he's just he's yeah, I think the announcer says he's dead, you know. So it's like uh it's uh it's a, it's a funny moment. Um and it's just in the eighth inning of a blowout and, and D Strange Gordon is is just uh, throwing 52 mile an hour lollipops. So yeah, I, I bet he got a little bit of a bruise, but not too bad of one. Um, one thing that I just thought was funny is that I also like when these moments um, have something to do with uh, trends in the game. Um, you know, that was how I sort of reacted to to judges. You know, thing too. I always kind of see the game in that in that light. More position players through this year than ever before. We had 2,000 uh, pitches by position players this year. Uh, one of the worst batting average because, you know, they're position players. You're going to use them more. It's, you're going to use even worse position players. Um, and I just think it's, uh, you know, I think, I think Doug, you kind of, you made a reference to it. Like, leading up to this, you're already talking about what can we do about this, right? Like, is there something that needs to be done about it? Um, and I do think that, the more this happens, the more it's not going to be as fun to watch. We used to have a Twitter campaign that was like position players pitching and people would be like, yeah, like, and now it's kind of like, yeah, it's a Tuesday. Um, so I, I, but there's no way for me, I think, to legislate it out because uh, you're just creating more rules. Um, and really what we're doing here is saving our better pitchers for better days. There is a finding from baseball prospectus where they said that every pitch uh, makes you worse over the course of a season. So <laughs> why put a guy in there that you could want to use later? I, I it's a it's a it's a funny thing that might become less whimsical over time because we're seeing it more. But I also don't think it's worth legislating out of the game. <laughs> I, I guess this is where I provide a little of my invaluable perspective. Um, <laughs> you know, you mentioned we had a record for most position players pitching a hundred 
and 32 position players took the mound this year. 132. That is crazy. Um, 18 times we had position players come in to pitch with their team's leading. Yes. Albert Pujols was one of those. Uh, three of them with shutouts going on, and then the, those guys messed up the whole shutout thing. Um, Hanser Alberto pitched 10 times, and the Dodgers went 8-2 and two when he pitched. Did we forget to ask Dave Roberts about that when he was here, Doug? What was wrong with us? Oh, yeah, and, I don't forgot and, that one. Right, and the 18 times they came in to pitch with their team's leading does not even count the I think it was the last game of the season when Luis Torrens was the winning pitcher in for the Mariners right in the next inning game. Oh, my God. So, so Doug, Andy, you guys want to weigh in on this trend? <laughs> I'll toss to Andy on this first. <laughs> my, my only thought is that if uh, without this, we wouldn't have seen uh, Anthony Rendon hitting a left-handed home run yes. off Brett Phillips, <laughs> uh, which was – Hilarious uh, in that it underscored uh, how supremely talented Anthony Rendon is. And it also uh, was a nice sort of rejoinder to players complaining about the baseball being dead. Which, like, (laughs) yes, it was, right? Like, it was, like, literally, like, less bouncy than it had been. But also, like, all right, this guy just hit a homer with his left hand. You can just hit it harder. You know, just maybe hit it over the fence. Like, that's you're allowed to do it. This guy just did it from the other side of the plate. But, you know, yeah, I think remember, I thought about hobby was... bias too, hitting too left-handed. Like, <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. Doug, remember when this was so rare? We actually had a we had a stupid baseball bet based on yeah. position players pitching one year. I actually have a broken trophy sitting on my shelf over here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we tied the one year. Right, we tied. Uh, you know, fittingly, right? The because Ben Zobrist pitched the last game of the season. You were like, "Oh, it's over." It's over. and then you had the National League, or yeah, I think. Oh, it, that's yeah. right. And then that's... yeah. No, I mean, I think well, the the fun part about it to me is, and I understand like the caliber question, but you know, all all through the time playing, you you realize like, man, your teammates have all these talents that people don't even know about, right? They, you know, I watched you know guys. I remember coming out early one time, and Andrew Jones was hitting left-handed, and he was hitting balls opposite field to left center. I mean, it's like what you know. So you know, I think it's you know outside of just their baseball skills. So I. I think it's kind of fun to watch like Desi Relaford pitch, who was throwing like 91 with a splitter, and how I used to have catches with him before the game all the time. And he was always working on, you know, imit- he could imitate anybody's motion. So although, yes, you're trying to win a major league game, uh, sometimes the games are completely out of hand. And I, I know for the players, they have a blast. The ones that, you know, Anthony Rizzo pitching to Freddie Freeman and all that, you know, they're having a lot of fun. And, it, and I think it's just good for the fans to see that, you know, just to do something different. Because it, it's a long season, 162 games. You know, you're just like, okay, here we are. We're in Pittsburgh. We just lost seven in a row. Well, you know, it's like, what are we doing? And then, you know, just something to kind of keep the guys, you know, kind of going. It, it's nice to get that chance. I mean, I pitched in high school. I pitched in college. Um, I, it would have been fun to get on the mound just to see what, what happens. And um, so so that's, you know, the part that, uh, you know, I think, you know, said it well, like, okay, you don't necessarily legislate it out. You know, it's kind of ridiculous and absurd, but every once in a while you get these moments that, are, are valuable and you, and you want to just keep that there just in case. 
And because uh, it's a long season, if nothing else, even if it's for the players, just let them have their fun. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are in favor. You're, none of none of you three are even the ones who write a column called The Weird and Wild. <laughs> this makes my life way easier. <laughs> All right, Andy, it is your turn. What was the weirdest thing that you saw in person this year? Uh, or you, if you want, do you want to lead into the exciting <laughs> highlight of this yeah. magical moment? So uh, one of my favorite things uh, that can really that only I mean I guess maybe it happens in other sports. I don't know. I haven't thought about this like holistically, but um, I really like it when very meaningful games um, move off the sort of accepted rails of behavior. Uh, and things start happening that you like genuinely don't expect. Not even just like uh, you know a pitch or a uh, you know a hit or something, but like when uh, when the game just suddenly pivots into uh, weird territory. And so uh, I take you back to game three of the the wild card round uh, when uh, uh, Buck Showalter walked out of his dugout at City Field and went <laughs> to go talk to the umpires. And we'll see what this is about. He's going to talk to. Alfonso Marquez at first base and now Joe Musgrove is kind of looking over there at the manager of the Mets wondering what's this all about. They bring Melvin out they're checking the glove Musgrove they'll look at the hat and they're checking his ears pretty thorough search and that appears to have yielded appears to have yielded nothing. This uh this was not as funny as when Max Scherzer offered to take off his pants <laughs> last year uh, while getting checked for sticky substances but the uh the image of joe musgrove with his ears just like glistening you know <laughs> like like radioactive glistening just glaring uh at the mets dugout as an umpire gently caressed them uh in search of sticky substances really underscored um that I should have tried harder in high school and done more with my life, I think, that covered this. Uh, that, knowing that my job that night involved trying to explain why that man was touching that other man's ears was a real uh, wake-up call for me. Uh, I enjoyed that. I also enjoyed, fun uh, uh, side note, is uh, Andrew McCutcheon was on Twitter that night and was convinced that uh, he had put red hot on his ears, um, which I had heard, like, uh, I guess that's a thing players do, but I re- remember reading that like Roger Clemens would put that in an unmentionable area. Yeah. Oh, and Jake so Peavy, it's, yeah. Yeah, like so it seems like moving to the ears is uh, progress. <laughs> right. So I am excited for the continued evolution of the sport. So that was it for me. Uh, you know, just the the spectacle of an umpire just sort of, you know, lovingly touching uh, Joe Musgrove's ears was really great. Can you hear me now? (laughs) (laughs) And and ironically, with the Red Hot, Joe Musgrove just threw the fastest pitch in Antarctica, right? Isn't isn't that where he went? Right. Uh, Yeah, so, you know, he just went 180 on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, How do you stay warm? Now we know. (laughs) You you know, the whole inspection thing was basically a comedy show within the show. (laughs) All year, I thought. Uh, the Musgrove inspection was not even my favorite umpire inspection of the year. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the game in September when Rocco Baldelli had Ted Barrett go out to run his hands through James Karinchek's <laughs> hair? Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, my gosh. It's yeah. tremendous. It's all, I've, 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 if you haven't seen it, 
it, there is a thing called the internet. You can find it out there. <laughs> so trust good. me. And uh, you know they found nothing. And afterwards, Karinchek said, "Justice is served." <laughs> Didn't Clarence Darrow say that once? Oh my god! <laughs> wow. But the funniest thing is, so, you yeah. can see oh, so much. You can read the 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 umpires. There's so many. You can see. I don't know if you're reading. If it was just me reading into it, but I was like, one. I had that that very much Andy. Like, what am what am I doing here? Like, why like, why is this happening? There was definitely that. And then there was also a second one, which was like, if I found something, why would I know what it what? How would I know? Yeah, I found right. something. <laughs> yeah. This guy's hair yeah. feels okay, nice. There's something in it. What am I supposed to do now? That's a great point. I mean, they, a, yeah. they need to spice this up a little bit. First of all, they need to put TSA pre-check on it. All right, TSA, you just have a TSA thing. You swab the person. You have a kit. You know, we we're all used to testing ourselves now. And you get the swab off the hair. I mean, you know, let's just go all in. Get a, get a registered nurse. Because umpire, umpires don't want to do this. You know, they don't want to do it. So I think you add, add to the umpiring crew. Okay, so That's wait, so if, point, if know, James like, Karinchek like if, had yeah. pre-check, he wouldn't have had to remove his cap? <laughs> yeah, he'd been fine. Yeah, exactly. He was right, all set. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. right, right. I just love the the idea of the uh, the only way to know if he's using sticky stuff is that the umpire's hand just gets stuck. <laughs> and he's just basically like, what, what do we do? We got you now. <laughs> yeah. Super blue. All right, blue. I guess we're both out of it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, and another underrated one was uh, was Dan Bellino massaging Madison Bumgarner's oh. hand, just like uh, just blatantly trying to get Bumgarner uh, upset. That was awesome. Oh, the I, stare! Oh my goodness! Well. Yeah, I enjoy that. I, I I like that stuff. Is is uh, I know like fans hate like um show type stuff. Like I find it hilarious. <laughs> yeah. like, I think it's one of the funniest things that can happen in the game. Yeah, these are all uniquely all right. baseball moments. All of our moments, like they're uniquely baseball moments, but they. They sort of go beyond it because there's like emotions and people, and that's what we love to see. Yeah. But these are like unexpected emotions and, not, and people doing unexpected things. It's kind of fun. Yeah. So I don't I don't know how uh, I I'm going to wind up being the one who does an actual baseball thing <laughs> for my highlight. But you know, I had so many to choose from. Uh, what were my priorities? I thought I got to I got to do something that our esteemed producer Tim McMaster can easily find a great play-by-play clip of. So, Mr. Mayor, if you're listening, you're welcome. <laughs> I know you're listening. You're on the Zoom. Uh, this is from Game 4 of the Phillies-Braves Division Series. Uh, JT Riomuto comes to the plate. And let, let's hear this because it's an epic call. Fly to center field. Harris on the move. Still going. Michael Harris can't get there. And Rio Muto can run for days. JT on his way to third. He looks for it inside the Parker. And the catcher has won. So how good was that call? That with inside the Parker. How good was it? So uh, the call was one reason to go down this road. The other reason was I, I just wanted to pick something that would give you guys an idea of what it's like to be me sitting in a press box when a thing like this breaks out. Um, My fellow writers are literally lining up at my seat 
<laughs> because they figure I'm going to know off the top of my head. Hey, when's the last time a freaking catcher hit an inside the park homer, let alone in the postseason? And you know, I don't know how I became that guy. I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I I'm there. There's no escaping it. And so because I'm there, I'm going to give you the answer. Everything that you wanted to know about inside the park postseason homers, inside the park catcher homers. Here we go. Okay. Last postseason inside the park homer by a National League player at any position was hit in the Calvin Coolidge administration. <laughs> 1926. Tommy, was it Thevenot? Thevenot. <laughs> he played for the Cardinals. It, it, it had to be a great moment because the. The, the fly ball he hit, hit the glove of Babe Ruth. Ooh. Pretty good, right? Mm, error. Um, okay, it was the first <laughs> postseason inside the parker by a catcher since. Uh, that would be never because <laughs> he was the first. Um, how many catchers hit an inside the park home run in the entire regular season? That's ever 2,400 games. That would also be none, but JT Real Muto hit one in the postseason. And then how many Phillies catchers have hit an inside-the-park home run in Philadelphia in the last hundred years? Other than him, the answer is one, and it was 75 years ago by Andy Semenik. And then this guy hit one. And the crazy thing was, it was not even his first inside the park home run in that wow. park. Wow. He also hit one once as a Marlin, uh, just not as a catcher. He was playing first base that day because that used to be a thing. So, boys, that's all I've got. Is that weird enough for you? I love it. That is. I love it. There's a, there's a, you know, Riomoto has like a little bit of an Otani-esque thing going for him in one, in one pass of the game. When it comes to his legs, he is yeah. the best catcher against the run in baseball and also the, <laughs> oh, the wow. best running catcher. He has wow. the number one pop time among catchers to right. second base, and he's the second fastest catcher, stole the most bases, and has, by defensive run saves, the best – he's the, the most runs against stolen bases. So he, he stops the running game down. And he also creates a running game for his own team. Wow. <laughs> yeah. There's always a stat where he, his, he's got a faster sprint speed than D. Strange Gordon. Or yeah. Your favorite sprint. Right. Yeah. yeah, he's what an athlete, man. The, uh, the entire, like, Phillies postseason is, like, the weird and wild, right? Like, I mean, just this, this 87-win team uh, morphing into, you know, I don't even, like a juggernaut, uh, you know, obviously what the Astros won, but like that, Jason, that had to just be like the most fun being around that team every day. I was always with them in the World Series, and it was just like, I was like, man, these guys are, these guys are having a good time, it seems like. It was so nuts. Not, nothing made sense. You know, they, they finished the regular season. They won 10 of their last 31 games. And then they started the postseason and won 10 and 2. <laughs> what is going on here? We are all mixed up. That team was all mixed up. I had many, many to pick from. But we, we went with JT. All because we're always thinking here of the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster and his production challenges. It's just what we're all about. <laughs> Am I right, Doug? 
Absolutely. We've got to take care of our mayor. Uh, <laughs> yes, and sir. Absolutely. Keep your mayor another happy. I'm just throwing well. another statue. Another statue for the mayor. I like statues. <laughs> right. right. Well, 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 guys, I don't know if we've adequately summed up what a wild year it was in baseball, but here's the important part. We had fun. <laughs> okay. So, so, Andy, you know, you guys are awesome. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And uh, thanks for visiting us in Starkville. We'll see you in 2023, my friends. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey, guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, Doug, one more time in 2022. It's time for Starkville Trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Uh, Doug, once again this year, we proved we're, we're not very good at this. But y- y- you know what we're really good at, it turns mm-hmm. out? Talking ourselves out of the correct answer. So what should our New Year's resolution be so we can avoid doing that again in 2023? Well, I mean, I think we have shown also that we are stellar during the postseason. So when it counts, we step it up. And I think we just need to figure out how to play playoff playoff postseason baseball in April. I'm not sure how you do that, but that would be the key to our success. Yeah, you think we could rise to the moment? It's not yeah. too much to ask. That's right. All right, let's Opening do that. Day. Let's do it. Uh, okay, well, for our final trivia question of 2022, we are joined by a special trivia guest star. How cool is that? It's our good friend Tyler Kepner, uh, the fantastic baseball columnist for the New York Times, but also 
the author of my favorite baseball book of the year. It's called The Grandest Stage, A History of the World Series. Uh, Doug, it's so good. I loved every page. Seriously. So, so Tyler, welcome back to Starkville, man. How are those book sales going? Pretty good. It's nice to, you know, nice to talk to you guys. It's good to, uh, you know, know that some people are buying your book and putting it in their stocking for, you know, putting it under the tree for their friends. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. I've been, uh, you know, doing some signings here and, and, uh, I've only been practicing my signature, Jason, since I was about eight years old, watching the, uh, yeah. you know, watching Mike Schmidt and Steve Carlton down the vet. And so uh, it's finally getting that time to put that signature to use, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I've signed a lot of books too, and it's like I, my signature just got worse as I went along. So hopefully, <laughs> you don't do that. Uh, hey, since you're here, you should tell us about your book. Uh, what inspired you to want to write it? Um, and did you have a favorite moment in writing it or reporting it? Well, um, you know, I've always, ever since I went to the, the first World Series game um, of my life in 1983, um, it was weird because, as, as Doug remembers, as a Philly fan, like it, it wasn't the memorable um, Phillies World Series really was 80, um, but I was just a little too young for that. So 83 was mine, and they lost in five games to, to Baltimore, but I got to be there for game four and five, and it really just stuck with me how, how exciting that was and how, um, how cool it was that the team I followed all year was, you know, all the time was suddenly the center of the baseball universe. And so now to be able to, to cover the world series every year, um, you know, and to have seen hundreds of games um, in the, on this uh, stage, I just, uh, I felt like I could bring a, a perspective to it um, that was maybe different than like a standard chronology. Cause it's not a chronology. You know, I, I go through, a bunch of different themes that sort of apply to all World Series, whether it's managing in the series or uh, handling pressure or uh, unlikely heroes, that kind of thing. And I think through those themes, it um, it was a fun way to do it because you didn't get locked into the drudgery of like, all right, well, today I wrote 1939, tomorrow I got to write 1940, and then 1941, and then you know that gets kind of boring, right? So um, it was it was like writing a bunch of different um, thematic articles about this great event, and uh, yeah, I had a blast doing it. Um, I think one of the cool moments was when I was I was actually happened to be at a hotel in Boston that overlooked the uh, Charles River, which overlooked the site of the old Braves Field, which is now um, uh, uh, called Nickerson Field at, at Boston University, where they play uh, you know, they, they play soccer and lacrosse there and stuff. Uh, but it still has you know the, the it still is an athletic field. It still has the original stands from Braves Field. Um, and so as I'm look at, looking out over that window, who calls me back? But Eddie Robinson, who played in the 1948 World Ooh. Series for the Braves, or I mean for the Indians, at Braves Field. And so I'm talking to a guy, he, he, he has since died, but he was about, I think, 99 years old or so. Oh. And I'm talking to him on the phone while looking out on the site of uh, the World Series that he won back in 48. So that was, um, you know, that was kind of surreal uh, to be able to, link those two things together like that wow that is that is so great um uh, we could talk about this book for an hour but uh, all i can tell you is it's great if you're listening to this if, if you're still looking for a, a gift for a baseball lover this book is it okay <laughs> got it go get the book um for some reason doug you know this every time tyler joins our show 
He's driving someplace. Yeah. <laughs> so do, uh, you're, you, he pulled off at a rest area. Do you just drive a lot, or is our timing good? Uh, yeah, I, I just drive a lot. I'm always picking picking up some kid somewhere and taking that kid somewhere else. You know, it's uh, it's the co- you know college time now where the kids come home for exams. So um, or from exams. So yeah, I'm just yeah. doing the pickup. Just, yeah, a lot of driving up here in, the, in New England. We're we're all familiar with the driving, <laughs> driving your kids wherever the heck they have to go. Oh so. yeah, yep. Well, listen, we're really happy to have you here. You have a trivia question that is right out of your book. Am I correct on that? Yeah, it's uh, you know there's so much packed in there. I think I put this in there, but um, it's certainly memories from these these games are in there for sure. Um, but this is one of my, my. Can I say it? Or do we need a drum roll? Yeah. Or why, don't you, or anything? why don't you hit us with this trivia, and we'll <laughs> we'll get right to it. All right. Well, so I want to know from you guys if you can identify the two pitchers, one in the '80s and one in the '10s, um, who the threw 2010s. the first 2010s, um, who threw the first pitch and the last pitch of the same World Series. In other words, the first pitch of the top of the first inning of game one, <laughs> and also the final pitch of the whole thing. Okay, Two guys it. did it, one in the in the 80s and one in the 10s. Hmm. Who right. might those you know, people be? I, okay, I, I know I've said this before, but I think we have a shot at this, Doug. Um, the, the I hints, think you do. If you, if you think of it hard enough, you can, yeah. you can probably get it. Yeah, the yeah. hints here are really helpful, too. Uh, I feel, yeah, one, one of, yeah. To have the decade is really helpful. Um, oh, yeah. And then the other thing is, like, it, there, there can only be two scenarios here. Um, either this guy pitched a complete game in the yep. first and last game of the World Series, or he started the first game and he closed out the last game. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think we can figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the well, he pitcher... didn't necessarily have to pitch. He didn't necessarily have to pitch a complete game in the first game. All he had to yeah. do was right. throw the first. The, the first no, he had pitch. to start the right. first one. Start the first one. Right. Yeah, and that's complete game. Start the, the last one, one and then or close the, the next one. Right. Yeah. Or close. Yep. Okay. So I feel like the pitcher from the '80s doesn't that have to be Oral Hershiser in '88? Tommy uh-huh. Lasorda. It felt like he never took him out of a game. He blew out uh, his arm. I know he did finish one game in relief. I think yeah. that was the NLCS, but I could be wrong. Um, whatever, it was his year. It was his October. Yeah. You know, I I, I also he had thought like about three starts Saber in the World Hayden. Series, like four games. It was out of, yeah. He pitched every other second. I mean, so that feel, that does feel right. I mean, he pitched a lot. His elbow could tell you all about yeah, that. Um, um, you know, I also thought about Brett Saberhagen in '85, but my yep. gut here is Schizer just feels right, and I know I remember Tyler's uh, conversation with him in the book. So then, the, the the from the 2010s. Oh yeah, that doesn't the, I think the obvious answer is Madison Bumgarner, right? I, we know that he threw the last pitch mm-hmm. of the World Series in relief in 2014, yep. and a lot mm-hmm. more pitches leading up to it. But uh, Salvador Perez is familiar with how that one went. Uh, so the question is. That was a dancing. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the question is whether he also threw the first pitch. Yeah. I think that answer is yes. But my other my other guess was Chris Sale, mm. twenty eighteen, because I know he closed out the last game. Mm. But he was hurting during that World Series. So did he start Game One? I feel like he 
didn't. So I, either way, like it almost has to be Mad Bomb or Chris Sale from that decade. Doug, what do you think? That's those are the two I had. I had Hershiser just because I remember him like blowing out his arm and throwing like every inning yeah. of the World yeah. Series. Right. Um, and I thought of Mad Bum. I mean, the only th- doubt I had was like, well, were they? Because first pitch means you're a, the home team, right? So I, I, it wasn't right. sure. Like, okay, well, maybe they were on the road. I was trying to remember if that would jog the difference between like Sale and like were the Giants. And this was when the All Star Game, right, decided. Home field advantage. So yeah, that, okay. So here, I, I mean, here's that's what the I key remember. to the question. If Doug is grasping it, that's the key to the question. Is is you remember the? It's easier to remember the last out of the series, but you've got to also know if that pitcher was a you know throwing was oh. at a home you know the starter in game one at home. That's the trick. So Chris sails out because the series. Oh, wait, no, no, no. The series started in Boston, so he's not out. <laughs> he's very much alive to do it. Uh, Bumgarner. Okay, I mean, so let me yeah, think about could... this. That World Series ended in Kansas City, so he couldn't possibly have done it because the Giants were the road team, so only the home team pitcher would have. Okay, I think it's got to be Chris Sale then. I don't know. I mean, I, that's the only thing I thought about right away. Like, you had to be at home for game one. Um, so. Yes. Okay. Chris Sale it is. Chris Sale is the right answer for the, for the 2010. Oh, oh, you got it. Okay, so let me he, think about he the He started 80s. game one, but then he was, as you say, he was kind of shaky health-wise, and they had Price start game five on short rest, and Sale just got the last three outs. But, so, yeah, right. Chris Sale for the 10. Okay, so let's think through 88. That series started in Dodger Stadium because that's where the Eckersley home run was. So Oral Hershiser qualifies there. Mm-hmm. And then the World Series only went five games, so it ended in yeah, yeah, Oakland. It, so he, that, that qualifies there. I, right. Isn't um, that the scene where he turns? Doesn't he turn his back and like he's like in tears or something? Like, wasn't that him? Like, he turned. I don't know. I just remember Hershiser having a moment. It, we, okay. I. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Because we, ta- we did interview, we talked to him somewhere in Starkville. <laughs> yeah, he's, I just, he's been here. <laughs> um, all right, so, you know. I mean, I, I don't like, know. I, I, mean, I'm, I rem- I, I'm pretty sure I remember reading this in Tyler's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just can't remember the answer. But I just think we should go with our best guess here. Um, we've already got Chris Sale right. So, uh, Doug, do you want to go with? With Hershiser, yeah. is the other? That's, I mean, that's all I could think. I mean, yeah, I thought about the twins and all, but that was like, that was, <laughs> the big moment was '91, so it wasn't yeah. in the '80s. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's my best answer, Oral Hershiser. Uh, uh, okay, Tyler, is there any chance that the answer to your question is Chris Sale and Oral Hershiser? Chris Sale's right. Oral Hershiser is not. Remember, Oral Hershiser did not pitch Game One of that series. That was Tim Belcher. Who threw the first oh, pitch of the game? Hershiser oh. pitched game two at Dodger Ooh. Stadium, but that... because he had pitched game seven against the Mets, it wasn't uh, he wasn't quite rested enough to start game one of that series. So it was not Oral Hershiser, and you have not mentioned this man's Ooh. name yet. Okay, Ooh, so it good. wasn't. Well, I feel better when that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, 81, uh, let's see here. Okay, well, so it's definitely it wasn't not Sabre Hagen. Frank Viola comes to mind. You both 80. should really know it. 
86? Uh, Who won the... Uh, uh, that no, was 86. Because that was no Jesse Orozco. Uh, uh, right. 88 uh, was Dodger. Was, what was, who was 88? Four only uh, won four games, so there's no way. Yeah. Oh, wait. 89. The, oh, the wait. earthquake was that? No, that was 80. Yeah, 89. But I know. Okay, that's it's not 89. 83. Oh, oh wait. Is it, it could is be 89. It, it could book? be Dave Stewart. No, wait. Uh, yeah, it could be Dave Stewart in 89. I don't know. Ooh. Cause he well, what about, well he, since he's a Philly, he's talking about, he mentioned Philly's, his first World Series. 83 was the, the Orioles won, but they, they beat him four out of five, right? So. Yeah, yeah, probably no. not. No, it opened. It opened in Philly, so that doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work either. Uh, wasn't Carlton in eighty? Eighty-two. Um, Eighty-one. Who started Game One for the Dodgers in eighty-one? I have no Jerry, idea. Jerry Reese. Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, I, you want, so you want I to go feel, Dave Stewart? Yeah, I'll go with that. I'll, I, I feel since, better since he, that we didn't know he's this. giving us an extra <laughs> guess. Tim's laughing here. Uh, okay, <laughs> we're going to go with Chris Sale and Dave Stewart. Oh, fellas! No, it was not Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart pitched the first, he he did start game one and he threw the first pitch. But he remember after the earthquake they reset their rotation, so uh, he, he came started back game, and three, game three, not game four, which is Mike Moore. And it, anyway, it wasn't a complete game because Eckersley finished it. So you you gloss right over it. Nineteen eighty three, that World Series opened in Baltimore, and mm-hmm. Scott McGregor was the game one starter. He yeah. took the loss that night because. Doug's hero, uh, Gary Maddox, hit a big home run. But then in game five, Scott McGregor was in total control. He threw a shutout and threw the last pitch to Gary Maddox, a little line drive out. So it was Scotty McGregor, 1983, (laughs) and Chris Sale, 2018. That's a good one. Two lefties. All right. Yeah. Doug, Mm -hmm. we should have gotten this. I I, I had no chance at that. I tuned out 83. I was happy with 80. (laughs) You know, as usual, we just – we have just overthought it, and we do that week after week. Um, no, that was a good at, at least. Well, Jason, you, you made the mistake there because you said you you eliminated '83 because you said, "Well, that series started in Philly. It ended in Philly. It didn't start there, though." So that was. Right. Is that, I like a question like that because it's like those old Jackie Short uh, ballpark trivia questions, right, Jason? Where <laughs> it's not just how many home runs did Mickey Mantle hit. Then you either know it or you don't. It's like it makes you think about. Well, we can eliminate this one and eliminate that one because you have to know a lot of different things and sort of put the puzzle together. So I could yeah. see your guys' brains working on that. Mm-hmm. Hey, you got to say, yeah. like oh, you just missed right. McGregor because he's a little more obscure and uh, 40 years ago. So, as always, all I know is Oral Hershiser <laughs> should have been the answer. <laughs> he should have been. Yeah. Tim Bell's yeah. gotten away. At any rate, we all know the highlight of these trivia segments is the part of the segment where we don't even talk. It's the it's the part where we bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to play another one of his epic play-by-play clips involving this week's question. So, Tim, what do you got for us? Well, Chris Sale was way too recent to go with that one. So we have to go back to 1983, not just because it was the Phillies were involved, it was back then, but how about the broadcast team on this one? Al Michaels and Howard Cosell. Here it is. <laughs> oh, and two, the count on Maddox. A liner, and the Orioles are the world champions. Rick Dempsey has just been named the unanimous most valuable player in this, the 1983 World Series. The pictures you have just seen all spoke for themselves. And there's Rick Dempsey being hugged. 
The pictures you have seen all spoke for themselves, said Cosell. <laughs> not, not, not pictured in that highlight, Scott McGregor. <laughs> yep, that was the last uh, the last series that Cosell did. And if you listen to that one, uh, the other color commentator uh, for the games is, is Earl Weaver, who had just managed the Orioles, so he had a lot of insights in uh, oh, wow. in that one. And and uh, but yeah, that was I think I think Cosell was supposed to do it in '85 also, but he kind of claimed out there uh, with ABC, and that's that. <laughs> Uh, birthday a broadcast career uh, network career of Tim McCarver so yeah that was the last one for uh, for Howard Cosell uh, oh well two things in life never change one is Glanville and I missing the trivia questions <laughs> the other is Tyler Kepner never ceasing to entertain us not just with trivia but with his writing uh, Tyler I seriously seriously love your book man the grandest stage a history of the world series before we let you go you, I'm going to let you tell people how to purchase this item. <laughs> well, um, you can go on. I would, I would suggest going to your local bookstore. Keep those uh, local yeah. booksellers in uh, in business these days. You could go to Barnes and Noble. You could go to Amazon and all those great places. But if you have a neighborhood bookstore uh, in your uh, in Starkville or wherever you happen to live, <laughs> um, go, uh, go 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 check out their shelves because it's uh, it, it should be there. So. Yeah, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for letting me talk about it. It's it, 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 uh, it was a really fun uh, experience to do it. Just to kind of to kind of honor that event um, with a book like that was um, you know was, was pretty cool because you know I mean in 1980 we talked about it, like 1980 there was that was the highest rated World Series game ever was 1980 and mm-hmm. and now uh, you know not as many people watch it as they did back then but we all know it's still a still a great event and the, the history of it um, that kind of resonates uh, as Jason. Uh, always points out, you know, when something big will happen. That's the first time in World Series history since, you know, Ed Walsh in 1906, you know, to be able to reach back to stuff like that is, uh, is part of what makes it so special. That doesn't sound like me at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it kind of does. Uh, Tyler Kepner, everybody. He's the best. Tyler, thanks for joining us here in Starkville, man. We'll see you at the, the neighborhood Starkville bookshop for a book signing and hope your holidays are fantastic. Yeah, same to you guys. And if you want more trivia, more excruciating trivia uh, <laughs> questions from me, uh, the New York Times will have one on uh, on Christmas morning, just for uh, right. for all yeah, the baseball trivia one, lovers yeah. and my uh, yeah my, my annual trivia quiz. Hey, great talking to you guys as always, yeah. Doug and Jason. You guys are the no best. Talk. You really are. Thanks. So Thanks, anytime. Man. Strange but true. Well, Doug, since it's the final show of the year, how can we not? Do a strange but true feats of the year segment. So we're just going to do a little sampling of some of our favorites. And I want to start with one that somehow or other we never did get to talk about on the show. I was actually on vacation when this happened in August, but it's such a classic. Uh, Rodolfo Castro of the Pirates goes to slide (laughs) into third base in Arizona. Let's hear what happened next. Might have broken a bat right there, and that's going to drop in front of Thomas. Castro hustling into third. And it's a pair of two-out base runners for the Pirates. Have you ever uh, played with a phone in your pocket? Uh, No. I mean, we didn't have cell phones back when I played. I don't understand that even a little bit. (laughs) Rodolfo Castro is apparently playing with his phone. Hey, you take it. Uh, uh, You know the old expression, get the call right? 
I think Rodolfo Castro might have misunderstood that, that one. <laughs> Doug, you have any thoughts on a guy sliding into third base with a phone in his pocket of his uniform? Ah, uh, you know, it's you know, I, I think it's very important to be sensitive to the time we're in. Uh, social media. Uh, I think you need to open up the rules a little bit and be able to text, tweet, and like something from third base every once in a while. I mean, because people are curious all the time about when people get to first base. What are the first? What are the first basemen? What are they talking about? There's time for conversations. Third baseman feels left out often, and I think it's time that we respect that and realize that they want to have conversations with the opposing team as well. And no better way to do that than you could call. And just in case um, the third baseman is not who the intended phone conversation is meant for, the runner at third can call the first baseman across the diamond who's used to talking <laughs> to people. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I thought it was very consistent with the modern era and how we're moving towards uh, a more communication, open-based society. Uh, and, uh, and that's okay. I, I think it's very risky because it could be an expensive phone. You could break it at any time. He clearly didn't care. He just wanted to talk. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah. You, you know who didn't think it was such a, a forward thinking moment? Uh, Major League Baseball, because they suspended him <laughs> for doing that. But I enjoyed it personally. Uh, what what, what was my, the charge? My, so what was he charged with? What, what you're was not the... allowed to have a phone on the field. <laughs> like, it was a major it... scandal when the Red Sox and Yankees were supposedly. <laughs> Doing the thing with the Apple Watches, right? Like, uh, so it's like you get him a phone? <laughs> you running around the bases? No. <laughs> but, but you know, like my, my wife is always saying when we get in the car, I can't find my phone. Yeah. You have no idea how tempted I am every time to say, maybe Rodolfo Castro has it. <laughs> But she has no idea who that is. So it's just one of those many things that would be lost on her that I say. Well, he didn't, he didn't answer it. Though. So, you know, if he, you know, it's one of those things you hit find my iPhone, it, it you know. If he doesn't answer it, you know, it could be, you could see it as a coaster or a batting glove or something. I think he could reinterpret if he wants to get out of that uh, charge. But, you know, next time, I think he's, he's learned, he's moving on. Yeah, there should think. be, a, he should have a, 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 like an, a, a voicemail message. I'm not home right now. I'm on third. <laughs> I'm on third like right that. now. Well, do you remember his dad, by the way, charged uh, Todd Stottlemyre from second base? He like he didn't he didn't charge him from the mound from home. He went around, waited till he got to second, and Stoudemire was like coming set, and he just charged from second base. I'm like, <laughs> what in the world? I, I had never seen anything like that. So yeah, so it's okay. Yeah. Um, all right, one more now, Doug. I'm I'm working on my annual strange but true feats of the year column, mm -hmm. and you know one of the things that we've done is uh, both at The Athletic and on Twitter, ask readers to nominate their favorites. Uh, you can, if you're a subscriber to The Athletic, you can you can find a link to do this on the uh, MLB page. If you're not a subscriber, yeah, look at the top of my Twitter feed. There's a place to re reply to this plea for, for reader favorites. But so far, we have to do the one that has come up more than any other. Uh, this is from June, Doug. This is Astros against Rangers. Uh, so second inning of this game between these two teams, it's, it was in Texas. Uh, Luis Garcia was pitching for the Astros, and he does the big immaculate 
inning thing, right? Nathaniel Lowe, Ezekiel Duran, Brad Miller, all strike out on a total of nine pitches. Strike one, two, three, strike one, two, three, strike one, two, three. Okay, so that's what they call an immaculate inning. Now, five innings later, Phil Maton comes in to pitch for the Astros. Guess what happened next? Here we go. Are you going to see history twice in one game? He yes! did it! That was incredible! You've got to be kidding me! Two, two immaculate innings. Two of them. In one game. That has to be a new major league mark. That could not have ever happened before. So, what was that? That's two immaculate innings in one game, both against the same three hitters? <laughs> what? So, I this took so long to look up this stuff. <laughs> so long. I'm so crazed. But, okay, the, the Rangers, during the regular season... Their hitters had not had any immaculate innings in 32 years. So, the, okay, between the last time and this game, they'd played 5,060 <laughs> games and had no immaculate innings and then had two of them in the same game. I also, I counted up all this stuff. In between those games... 174,000 at-bats, 35,000 strikeouts in over 45,000 innings and had no immaculate innings. And then in this game, they had two immaculate innings in the span of 21 at-bats because baseball is just the best. Doug, your thoughts? Well, first thing that comes to mind is a sponsorship. What what do you do with, you know, you got to sponsor this. So, of course, it's got to be some vacuum cleaner, Dyson, uh, what, a, what a, give me some a Hoover. I mean, we got to yeah, step it up. Good. So, if you're immaculate, you are cleaning the carpet. So, I think you, you, you got to give a, tro- you got to walk out on the mound immediately with a piece of carpet, some scrap carpet, and a vacuum cleaner. And so that's how you got to memorialize it. It might be gold, maybe a gold vacuum cleaner. So I suggest that Hoover and everybody get on board right now. Let's start there. Now, I always think about Kevin Gossman. Yeah, it's a random kind of connection. But I interviewed him a couple of years ago. And I know his career, he was kind of like, you know, starter, reliever. He was sort of finding himself for a long time. And now, of course, he's one of the best out there. And I remember him saying, I asked him, well, when did you kind of turn the corner? What, what was like... He's like, it's when I threw an immaculate inning and then I threw another one. He said, that was the moment that I felt I belonged in the big leagues. So it's interesting like that he put so much weight on that feat that sometimes just kind of random. I mean, yeah, it's dominant, of course, but it's also like, I don't know, sometimes just swing and miss, you know, he missed the pitch. So it could have meaning in, in that sense of like the not only the rarity, but a pitcher kind of realizing like, wait a minute, I just struck three major league hitters out on nine pitches. That's like, that's like when you are 18 pitching in little league type, you're like, you're just dominant in high school. So I, I like that idea that not only do you give someone a golden vacuum cleaner, but you recognize that it could be a career changing moment. I don't know what those pitchers did after that, but Hey, get them a vacuum cleaner. So if a, if a pitcher throws an immaculate inning, should he be exempt from having a shower after the game? He's immaculate. Or, or, or he could use the vacuum cleaner or the, you know, 
the dust buster on his own body. I mean, he doesn't need it. So, yeah. I, I guess so. By the way, the Rangers also had a third immaculate inning later in the season. So they went, what, 45,000 innings and had none. And then they just couldn't stop because they, they were they, because they they're ultimate, immaculate. They're, they're very immaculate. clean. Right. Yeah. And if, so if you would like to contribute a, an item as strange or as true, but especially as strange as this one, uh, go to the MLB page at The Athletic or go find my Twitter feed and uh, feel free to nominate your favorite Strange But True moments of 2022 because that that column is coming right up if I ever actually have the time to write it. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all off-season long on The Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety absolutely free everywhere you get your podcasts and if you would like to read any of the fantastic hot stove baseball coverage in the athletic i can tell you how to do that just go to the athletic.com slash baseball show and if you're a new subscriber you can subscribe for two dollars a month for the next 12 months but also remember you too can be part of this podcast every show we pick the most fun listener trivia question of the week. And then that listener gets to join us right here and prove once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. You can email us the question at Starkville, with an E on the end, at theathletic.com. Or Twitter continues to operate, and so you can try to find us on Twitter. I know that sounds hard, but Doug, is it easier than it sounds? It is extremely easy so far. My name has not been co-opted into anything else, so it is still at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E, and I'll be there. Yeah, and I'll be there uh, at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T, so you can spell my name just like you spell Doug's name, but you don't have to finish. Just <laughs> after, that, after the S-T, you can move on, do something else. Uh also, remember to hashtag those questions, hashtag StarkvilleQS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Andy McCullough and Eno Saris for visiting us. Thanks to Tyler Kepner for the great trivia question and for the great book. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us all year long. Uh, and thanks to you all for listening. Next up on the Athletic Baseball Show, it is the roundtable as opposed to this, which was some different kind of table. Meanwhile, Doug and I will see you in 2023. Oh, Starkville! Starkville.